Good morning. It really is good to see you guys here, those of you online. And uh, middle of the summer, we're doing all right. Humidity, I'm, I'm still waiting for the humidity to come. Uh, sooner or later, I'm assuming it will. Just kidding. Um, but so it's, such a, it's such a treat to be able to see you here and be able to be together. Before we get into the Word, I wanted to give you an update and a prayer request. And whenever you get one of these, it's helpful, at least for me, to I want you to know he's doing well. So hear that. But it's regarding Pastor Vernon Rainwater, our pastor emeritus. That's a new title. Recently, we were joking about a few weeks ago. And Vernon and Connie have been up in Seattle working with some partners up there and uh, was going to be back next weekend to preach as part of our series that we're in on the Psalms. But last Sunday night, uh, he went to the emergency room there in Seattle, was diagnosed because of some pain, and he was diagnosed with a detached retina. And they scheduled surgery on Tuesday, has an amazing doctor. He's the head of ophthalmology for the medical school there at University of Washington. And it was a great, a successful surgery, uh, as far as we know right now. And Vernon's doing well, although he has been, I think, face down this entire week because of the blood flow with his eyes. And uh, the doctors have told him that he cannot get above a thousand feet for, could be upwards of two months, but we're hoping it won't have to be that long. But obviously here he is on the opposite corner of our country and is going to need to be there and, and will not be able to be back here next week. He sends his greetings. He's doing, he's doing well. His, his heart's good. We really appreciate your continued prayer. We're about to pray for him as well. But for next weekend, our, uh, our message will be by Jeremy Jobson. I'm so encouraged. Jeremy's one of our pastors here, very gifted in our counseling department, our care, our care center. And uh, I've received great insight and wisdom from him already in the short time that I've been here. And he's going to be preaching from Psalm 88. It's a psalm that it's one of the darkest psalms in the sense of saying, boy, I don't know what to do, God. And that's, it's the authenticity of it that's powerful. You won't want to miss that. But in the meantime, let's, we do need to be praying for Vernon. And I'm going to be kidding him as well that Seattle's a beautiful place this, this time of year. And uh, really, so you're confined there by the doctors for two months. Okay, I'm going to fly to Barbados. And I'm going to see if I can work something out with the doctors there. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. And I wouldn't be joking if uh, we didn't feel like the surgery had gone well, but he's definitely not out of the woods. So let's pray for him and also pray for our time together. I'm not the real teacher here. So let's talk to the teacher who's, who's uh, going to be speaking into our journeys. So Father, here we are, as we often acknowledge, we're not, we're not just in a church service. We're in the stories of our lives, our relationships, our finances, our jobs, our health our doubts, our fears. We're here in your presence as your people gathered here and also through this gift of technology online. And together we want to call out to you for Vernon. We thank you so much for him and Connie and ask that you would continue to give the doctors wisdom. Thank you that you've, you've entrusted him to such a great medical team who are really extensions of your healing hand and pray that you would continue to heal him physically, that you would continue to encourage his and Connie's heart, that you would bring them back to us as soon as possible. But we thank you for even the wisdom that the doctors have from past experiences with this for him to not go above altitude and fly back. So you've, you've really, in, in, in some ways, there's, there's tons of ministry to be done there, but you've also, you've made him lie down in a green pasture. Would you restore him? Would you breathe into him and refresh him? And would you heal him? I also thank you for every person here and on, online and ask that you would do the same for them. We're talking about storms this morning and we've all got them. Some are raging. 
Others have quelled a bit, but they're still there. And no matter how much I love these men and women, I can't speak into their journeys without what I say being rooted in your word and enabled by your spirit. That's when it will be a significant time. That's when it will be a time in which the time, it's, it's, it, the time is well spent. So I come in the name of Jesus with all my frailties and flaws, speaking to companions on the path with their frailties and flaws. And ask that you would speak not into our religiosity, but into our humanity. That it would be throbbing and thriving to your glory. As our vision statement is alluding to that we'll get to in weeks to come, teach us what it means to be fully alive in the midst of our storms. We're listening. And we're listening in confidence because we're asking in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this past week, I had made a deliberate point to take a tour of our bookstore here at Northland. Some of you know we got one, don't know where it is. Others of you didn't even know we had one. And uh, first, let's cover something. Books are these, these things. Usually they're about yay big and they're about that thick sometimes. And you open them up and there are these little thin pieces of white pa paper and there's words on it. And you turn the pages and it means reading a book. In our society, we've lost track of that, haven't we? The technology and so forth. But I just, there's something about, I love holding a book and it's summer, summer, so you gotta have a summer reading plan or summer book. And I uh, am so impressed with our bookstore in terms of the ministry that they have, not just to us as a family, but to our community. And the staff they've got there, the way they've organized it. So I wanted Donna to walk me through and just let me know how we've got it organized. I, I was impressed by how much we've got jammed into that space. And uh, if you're looking for a Bible, you got a particular topic you want to talk about, go to them, ask them. But while we were going through the bookstore, I looked over her shoulder. She was sharing one, at one moment real passionately about uh, just their excitement to have this ministry. And I noticed over her shoulder, up in the wall above the bookshelves, there were a number of pieces of artwork. And this one caught my eye. This artistic plaque with the words painted on it, be still and know that I'm God. Psalm 46, verse 10. Now we're in this series on the Psalms. We're calling it every beat, dealing with every beat of our hearts is relevant in our relationship with God, the highs as well as the lows. There's also the double meaning of every beat of these songs which are what the Psalms are. They were songs that were sung. Every beat of those songs relates to every beat of our journey and actually can help provide a rhythm to the way that we live our lives and navigate through a fallen world. So we're taking a Psalm a week. We're not gonna be covering them all at one time. There are 150 of them. We'll take some, uh, some little bite-sized chunks along the way. Today, our Psalm is Psalm 46. And I smiled when Donna, when, as Donna was speaking and I, I pointed up to the artwork and I pointed up to this one. Not just because this is the psalm for this week, that's not what caught my eye. Actually, when I see this phrase, and I think this will be the case the rest of my life, I go back to June, 2012. It's amazing how different psalms have had a particular impact. Last week, Psalm 139. It's hard for me to look at that psalm without thinking of being on the floor of the waiting room in the Arnold Palmer Children's Hospital ICU unit and having Psalm 139, as I told you about last week. Well, Psalm 46 has similar meeting in a different context. It was June the 20th, it was actually June the 23rd when my family and I gathered 
One son had come from a mission trip, another had come from the Air Force Academy, and we all converged in Italy. We'd never been to Europe on a family vacation. So we'd been planning this for about a year. We, we get together, we're sitting down for our very first dinner there in northern Italy, and my phone begins to vibrate continually. Now, we'd already had this deal with our staff that uh, had to be an emergency and because we, we were really wanting to try to get away as a family. Finally, I picked up because I realized something must be wrong. And indeed it was. It was a Saturday afternoon and uh, Saturday evening in Italy, but Saturday midday in Colorado, which is where we lived. And they said, Matt, a fire has broken out in Waldo Canyon. Our, our home is in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. We look up into the Rockies and Waldo Canyon is a number of miles over a few ridges, but the fire had broken out. It was very hot, high winds. They said a fire's broken out and they're trying to get it contained, but it's growing and your neighborhood is being mandatorily evacuated. You've got till five o'clock to be out of your house. So a number of uh, the staff were headed up to your house with vehicles. Tell us what your security code is, what your garage code is, and what do you want us to take from your house? That was our dinner conversation, first, first night of vacation. It's a fascinating conversation. Maybe I'll do a message on it sometime because you think about it. What would you say is what's most important? What will we decide on? But the next day, the fire uh, hadn't advanced much. They didn't have it contained, but it wasn't moving. Same on Monday and even Tuesday. Not a whole lot of movement. We're thinking we might have dodged one, dodged a bullet. Wednesday morning, I woke up and my phone kind of blew up with texts and voicemails and emails, all of them saying, Matt, we're so sorry. Um, everybody was telling me how sorry they were that we'd lost our home. Well, I went online and it was middle of the night in Colorado, so I couldn't call anyone. And, uh, but. I looked and I saw what had happened. Evidently, mid-afternoon, early afternoon on that Tuesday, the thermal column, I didn't even know there was such a thing, had collapsed because of winds and humidity and the fire basically uh, exploded over the final ridge and began swooping down into my neighborhood. Over 30,000 people were evacuated. Our neighborhood had been evacuated already, but there were a number of neighboring communities that were on ready, but they hadn't left their homes yet. And the authorities were going through the neighbor, the streets with loudspeakers saying, evacuate immediately, evacuate immediately. Um, the next week, once I got back, a friend of mine gave me a photo that he'd taken from his car. They were coming from my the general part of town, that my neighborhood, and it was basically a traffic jam, thousands of people trying to get out. And this is what the photo looked like as he looked around and the mountain was on fire and advancing, high winds, and you're stuck in traffic. There are a number of people that dealt with uh, almost PTSD after this because it was so terrifying. And I saw photos like this as I was in Italy in that very peaceful setting and realizing and looking at live feeds from CNN right at my neighborhood and it looked like the entire neighborhood was in flames. So I went around the, our, our little, little condo there and collected, my whole family was still sleeping, so I collected Arlene's mobile phone, my three sons' mobile phones because I didn't want them waking up and finding out from anybody but me. And I went out and sat on this little bitty balcony and looked at some peaceful mountains. And guess which psalm I went to? Psalm 46. I woke them up. We talked. And there were tears. We weren't sure, but we all agreed and everybody 
we went through the rest of that day and into the end of the following day and then found out that incredibly our house was spared. I mean, there are tons of houses within eyesight of our home that were lost. In fact, 346 homes were lost, destroyed. We had a family conference. Uh, we had a lot of partnerships with the city, our church did, and I needed, because our house is okay, the decision was, do I need to go home or stay with my family for this dream vacation? And it was fairly clear to all of us because our home was okay, they couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't get back into the area, the neighborhood. We decided I would go back and they would continue with a lot of these things that we'd gotten discounts on and prepaid for. And I was, I was torn and Andrew, the oldest, brought some older son, oldest son wisdom. He said, hey dad, uh, we'll be okay, we're in Italy. <laughs> so I came back and uh, the mayor and fire chief drove me around and uh, I happened upon a friend's home. It looked like a, a bomb had gone off. Here's the next photograph, but this is a friend's home that I didn't even, I was just dumbfounded, the, the devastation. There's one more photo. I won't show you a ton, but here's one more. This is a neighborhood right in a hill just below our home, 89 homes all destroyed. Of the 346 homes that were destroyed, the, the addresses of about 138 of them were in our database at the church that I was pastoring. In other words, they had some connection. Turned out there was really 89 folks, 89 families from, from our church had lost their homes. So uh, I started visiting with those, those people. And that Sunday, we got together for worship. Our church was in the evacuated area. We couldn't get the main campus. So we, one of our satellite campuses, we added a few services to and then had worship there. And it's some of the most powerful worship that I'd ever known. Guess which Psalm we talked about? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screens in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, head to our Welcome Center. We'd love to give you a copy. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge. And let me read through this, and, I, and then some of you are wondering, well, why was this psalm so significant for you that Wednesday morning and then during the worship on that Sunday? And hopefully it will become clear in just a minute. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bows and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still. and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So what's the circumstance? What's the context? of Psalm 46. You see a verse like this and you think, be still and know that I'm God. And it's kind of like, oh, in these quiet moments on vacation, it's great to finally be at my favorite beach with my favorite book and favorite beverage and favorite music and favorite people and favorite angle of the sun, favorite direction of the breeze, everything's good. That's not the context of this. The context of this exhortation to be still and know that I'm God, take a look at verse 2. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surge. You see, the context is not some uh, kind of retreat off to the side and nothing's going on. The context of the mountains are falling to the sea. This is, or the, the, the earth is quaking. Fires are raging. I guess several years ago, the Army War College came up with an acronym, VUCA, Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity, and Ambiguity, describes what the Harvard Business Review, in talking about this, said basically what they're doing is summarizing how crazy things can get. Anybody here in the midst of some VUCA, some volatility and uncertainty and complexity and ambiguity, it's called a storm. We all have them. You're in one right now, perhaps. Maybe it's some relational storm. Maybe the news from a son or daughter or some news from a doctor or a job thing, or maybe we don't have a job. Uh, maybe it's some doubts, some type of circumstance. Whatever it is, it's a storm. It could be raging, and lots of people know about it. It could be raging, and nobody knows about it. It could be a, a, a small underneath-the-surface storm, but it's there. And if you're not in a storm right now, you guys can always rely on me for encouragement. You'll be in one soon because we're in a fallen world. It's, we go from storm to storm. Storms are normal in a fallen world. So the context is a storm. It's a storm of our culture. It's storms that we go through even in, in, in churches. When a, a church goes through a, a, a transition from a, from a wonderful legacy into a new chapter, it feels a little stormy. So individually, corporately, culturally, there you go. That's the context. So in the midst of the context comes the exhortation. Go back to the exhortation. Get it one more time. Here's the first part of it. But let's read the whole verse, verse 10. He says, be still. And know that I'm God and I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in all the earth. Be still in the midst of the storm. Now, search and rescue groups around the country, um, fascinated with that. We really have done a lot of hiking with my boys and we've talked a lot about being lost or, and how to avoid being lost, what to do when you are lost. And, I've been in some very remote areas. Thankfully, I've never been totally lost, although Daniel Boone one time was asked, have you ever been lost? He said, no, but a few times I've been a bit bewildered. And so I've been a bit bewildered a few times. And what, what happens when you get bewildered, when you start getting lost? Uh, your heart rate accelerates, your breathing accelerates, your pace quickens. Well, search and rescue teams will tell you who's Who's easier to find when they're lost, a child or an adult? You guys don't want to answer that because you think it's a trick preacher question. And maybe it is because kids are easier to rescue. You know why? They are more willing to admit that they're lost. How's that manifest itself? They stop being frantic and they just sit down and they wait for somebody to rescue them. Whereas us adults, we start realizing we're lost, our breathing accelerates, heart rate accelerates, pace accelerates, we start trying to save ourselves and we can wander way far away from any possible rescuers. And here God says, in the midst of your storm, Whatever, and have it in mind right now, whatever you might be dealing with, in the midst of it, be still. T.S. Eliot, the great poet from last century and his classic four quartets in Burton Norton, which is one of the, the segments, talks about the still point of a turning world. And he says, except for the still point, we don't engage with the still point, there will be no dance. He's saying, you have to be still in order to pivot, to engage. 
be still. But our stillness isn't passive. It's active. You look at this phrase and you think, well, that just means giving up. No, there's nothing, nothing in this about giving up. That's not what this means. To be still is an active decision to engage. Not to give up. It's an active decision to engage with this whole notion that he is God and that he is exalted. So in the stillness, what do we do? We're to know that he's God. So he says, take this opportunity in the middle of the storm. How many times, I know I'm like this, I I get involved in a storm and I just want to rush and try to deal with it all and say, I'll deal with God later. I mean, I hate how I have to apply my sermons along with you. I'd like to instead just give them to you. And last week, the anxiety, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety as we're tackling some of these issues that are exciting, but it's, it's, there's a lot of them. And the same dealing with the storm. So what do we do? I tend to want to, hey, I'll be still later. Right now, I've got to get, no, he says, you be still now. What do we do? We're to engage with who he is. And who is he? Let me give you four characteristics of who he is, and then we're going to come back to each of these. We'll go back through them quickly, but here, here you go, rundown. Who is he? He's high. He's here. He is help. And he is home. All right, want to hear you uh, say those with me. Here we go. He is high. He is here. He is help. And he's home. Now, with each one of those characteristics of who he is, I need to respond. So let's look at them one at a time. Here's the first one. He is high. What's my response? I'm going to choose to worship. I'm going to choose to worship. He says, worship him. That's what the psalmist is talking about. So in the midst of my storm, I want to be still and know that he is high, meaning he is big. He's majestic. He's transcendent. I don't want to worship him. You're saying, worship him. In the midst of of a storm? What I'm about to tell you is something that was, was forged, especially in that season. Over the next month, month and a half, I visited with a lot of folks who had either lost their homes or some had been stuck in traffic thinking they were going to lose their lives. And generally speaking, there are a lot of subcategories, but there were two categories of people. Even among believers, there were two categories. There were the folks that had learned to worship in the midst of the devastation. And there are others that didn't. And the difference in the two people and their countenances and how they were was striking to me. Worship comes from the old English worship or worth Skype. It means to acknowledge God's worth. And you do it in the midst of the difficulty. You don't wait till it's over. Here's how the psalmist worshiped. Verse 4, he says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. He's worshiping. This is right after, this is four and five, this is right after, deep thought here, that's right after verses two and three, just so you know. And two and three, we're talking about the mountains falling into the sea. Now he's got this insight, this worship insight. Where does that come from? Where did he get that insight about who God is in the midst of this? I just got a, uh, a, a song I purchased, added to my iTunes library. Pretty excited. I, uh, I splurged a bit, 99 cents. But I'm telling you what, it was a great purchase. It's a song, it was one of the top 50 songs last year. It's, it's by a guy named Samir Mazrahi. Do you, want, do you want to hear it? 
Okay, here we go. It's awesome. You like that? Some of you are thinking there's a technical glitch. There's no technical glitch. It's playing right now. In fact, it's a 10-minute long song. And this is what it sounds like for 10 minutes. You're saying, I'm not hearing anything. Exactly. The name of the song is A-A-A-A-A, very good song. You say, what in the world? Well, do any of you connect your phones to your Bluetooth or to your car media center? When you plug your phone in, your iTunes, your, your song list begins to play automatically. And where does it start? It starts alphabetically with the first song. And for, for a while, I've been struggling with this because my battery, my, my power cord goes in and off. And so I'll turn it off, but then it shifts, goes off, comes back on. And then the, the, it, it, it cues my song to play. So it's some song starts with A, and I got the thing, the first four or five phrases memorized. And I have to, while I'm driving, turn it off. Well, guess what? A-A-A-A-A, very good song. Guess which is the first song in the alphabetical list on my playlist? It's this song. So I plug it in and I don't hear anything for 10 minutes. It was a bestseller. Why? We're often longing for silence. In fact, it's why from high-end resorts to, to, to budget resorts are starting to market no internet availability, no cell service sometimes. Because there's something in us that realizes we need quiet, but it's just hard to come by. How did the psalmist worship? How did the psalmist come up with those insights in verse, in this context of verse two and three, the psalmist comes up with this worship of of verses four, five, and six. How? He's still. And knows that God is high. He worships. High meaning what? Isaiah 57, verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one says. High meaning a high view of God. Not a low view, not a little mascot, but the one who's the creator, sustainer of the universe. He who lives forever and whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. So when we acknowledge that he is high and exalted and we humble ourselves and say, God, I am lost. I, do, I am not nearly as in control as I thought I was. And we humble ourselves. God comes. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And as I worship and acknowledge you're high, you're enough as I acknowledge the truth about him, Jeremiah 32, verse 27, when God says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind, is anything too hard for me? It's in the stillness that I start grappling with that. And I choose to worship. Worship's a choice. It's not a mood. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the soils, this is an agricultural society where this is being read. This is devastation that's being described. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. That does not necessarily mean a smile, could involve tears, but I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I've got in my Bible a sheet of paper. It's kind of worn. It's the beginning, the first two pages of a musical score that I found uh, and, and copied years ago. And I just keep it in my Bible. Now, some of you know this piece of music because we talked about it last year. Spent an entire morning on it. The name of it is Quatuor pour la fin du temps. Quartet for the end of time. It was composed by Olivier Messiaen, a musician from Paris that was taken to a prisoner of war camp during World War II. He composed this in 
a POW camp, performed it with three other fellow musicians with uh, haphazard musical instruments on January the 15th, 1941, outside in freezing rain, and the entire POW camp, some guards got together, and it is a, it's a piece of music revolving around several passages in Revelation. It's a piece of worship music. He chose to worship in the midst of an awful storm. And I keep it in my Bible to remind me we worship in all of life. And some of you have asked me how you can pray and, for, for, for me during this season. I mean, it's an exciting season, but it is not easy as we're going through this, this, this launch into this next chapter. So here's a question. You, you want to know what you can, how you can pray or what you can ask me? Walk up to me and say, are you worshiping? I, th- I'm no, I'm, I know I'm going to regret this because you're, you're all going to do it. But it's holding me accountable. I've already gotten it this morning because I've, I've done it for a couple of services already. Are you worshiping? Am I acknowledging that he is high and exalted? When I'm still, he says, be still and know. First characteristic that, I'm, that I am high. What's the second one? Remember? That he's here. So the second characteristic that I engage with when I'm still is not that just that he's high and I choose to worship him, but I engage with the fact that he's here and I choose to relate with him. He's here, right now, in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the storm. Guys, there's tons of stuff I don't understand. There was the fall, beautiful before creation, then the fall, and then Christ, the Redeemer, has come. God's restoring all things for his glory. Instead of destroying all of creation and starting over, he elected to glorify himself, to glorify himself by redeeming and restoring it. We, Christ has already come and secured the destiny of the cosmos, and one day all things will be restored and renewed, and the kingdom of this world will once again become the kingdom of our God. But in the meantime, we're in a fallen segment of time, and I don't understand God's mystery and all of it as we but as we're in the midst of the fallenness he says I'm here look at the beginning of the psalm the middle of the psalm and the end of it verse 1 God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble ever-present what do you think that means ever-present the Lord Almighty verse 7 the Lord Almighty is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress Psalm 4611, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now listen, here's the deal. This psalm goes from big to small and it's back and forth, meaning this. God is, to use some big words, God is transcendent above all, but he's also imminent. He's right here. He is big and he's small. In line which in the wardrobe with After Aslan, the Christ figure, the the lion sacrifices himself, dies, but then is resurrected, and the children are playing with him, romping around with him in the meadow. (laughs) Lewis writes that Lucy, one of the children, they're just having a glorious time, Uh, but he said for the rest of her life, Lucy could never quite say whether it was more like playing with a thunderstorm or a kitten to play with Aslan. Is he thunderstorm or is he kitten? Yes. Is he big or is he small? Yes. Is he transcendent or is he imminent? Yes. Is he high or is he here? Yes. You're with me. Emmanuel, God with us. What we looked at last week in Psalm 139, there's no place we can go that he's not with us. He's ever present. And whatever storm I'm in, Francois Fenelon, he says, he's a 17th century mystic and and some devotional writings. He says, you think it's spiritually important to have free time to be alone with God. Well, it is. 
But he's talking basically here about what I was referring to earlier, that we think this statement is just for those quiet times when everything's fine and we're off to the side. It is for that, but he says, oh, when the torrential floods of daily business sweep you away, that's when you need to let yourself be carried off with no regret. Know that you will find God in the torrent as well. You find him in the midst of the storm. He's here. William Frey is a retired Episcopal priest, lives out west, works with some uh, care centers and counseling. And he writes about a young man named John. In his mid-20s, he got to know him a little bit. He's blind, John's blind, both eyes, and found out his story. His story was that John uh, became blind when he was 13 years old due to a chemical explosion. Tragic, just like that. And John confided to Bill that he said, you know what, for the first six months, I was a wreck. I was depressed. I was in my room. I had my meals there, didn't want to come out. I didn't care to live. And he said, finally, one day my dad came in, and I could tell by the firmness of his voice, there, there, there was some force behind what he was saying. He said, son, listen, Winter's coming. It's time. We do it every year, and you're the one who does it. It's time to put the storm windows up. And you need to get busy. And he said, but I'm, he said, I don't care. You know how to do this. You've done it every year. Do it. I want it to be done by the end of today. When I come home from work, I want the storm windows up. And he, he could tell his dad wasn't asking. He was telling him, and he left the room, almost slammed the door because of the energy behind it. And then John said, I was so mad. Doesn't he know I'm blind? And finally he says, you know what? I decided to do it because I was so mad. I thought, well, I'll just fall off a ladder and not only will they have a blind son, but they'll have a son that's got broken legs and have to even be more of a hassle. And so he fumbled around in the garage for the ladder, took it out, fumbled or felt his way around. He knew where everything was. It took him a lot longer, but he got him up. He got all the storm windows up, and the next day, his dad let him know that he had never been more than four or five feet from him the whole day. God says, in the middle of the storm, you've got to decide to be still and know not only that I'm high and worship me, but know that I'm here relate with me, call out to me, make your request known to me, be intimate with me. Some of my greatest moments of intimacy are in the storm. But there's a third characteristic in this, in this psalm. Be still and know that I'm high and that I'm here. And what's third? That I'm help. I'm high, know that he is, he is high, so worship him. Know that he's here, relate with him. Know that he is help and trust in him. Trust in him. Look at verse one. God is our refuge and strength. Refuge, an ever-present help in trouble. Think about that word refuge. A number of years ago, I was climbing in the Rocky Mountains in a place called Independence Pass. It's right at the Continental Divide. I was uh, alone for a couple of days doing a solo ascent of a 13 or a 13,000 foot peak. I was up on top. Now, when you're climbing in Colorado, you always want to keep your eyes out for thunderstorms because it ain't good to be on top of a 13, 14,000 foot peak when lightning comes. And, but it was a beautiful day, not a, and you'd start early, so you avoid all that. Beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky. I could see 30, 40 miles away. There was a thunderstorm brewing, some, some weather. I didn't think much of it. I had my apple out and some water and a book I was reading. I was just up there. Uh, it was awesome. And then, all of a sudden, I felt a sensation on my forearms. And I looked down, and the hairs on my forearm, the hair on my forearm were all standing straight up. I felt the back of my neck. The hair was standing up. Then I felt up on my head, and my hair was straight up because of electricity in the air. 
not a good sign because that's showing that there, lightnings could strike any moment. I'm looking around, there's no cloud right above me. I threw my stuff in my backpack and, and then looked, I couldn't even, I didn't even take the trail because you're so exposed. I, I took a scree field, which is small little rocks that are smaller and just started bounded, taking a leap and sliding, leap and sliding. I don't know that my knees have ever recovered from that. Finally, I found some refuge. Some of you are wondering, well, did you get struck by? No. Actually, yeah, I did. I had jet black hair before that, and this is what happened. No, I didn't. I found refuge. The psalmist says, he's our refuge in the midst of the storm. He's our ever-present help. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. But I want you to look at the last part of verse 6 there. He says, that he may lift you up in due time. I do not like that clarification. How about now? Not due time. We want it now. I was taking a look at an article about some, all the titles that are out there about instant. We want it now. One year to a college degree, 30 days to a better life, seven days to a brand new me, 60-minute marriage builder, one-minute father, 60-second stress management, one-minute therapist, 60-seconds to serenity. I love the title, Instant Time Management. There's one. (laughs) Then even in Christian books, 60 seconds with God. Uh, Here's one, Instant Sermons for Busy Pastors. Some of you are wishing I would read that, but I'm not going to. Um, We want it now. He says, in due time. But I will help you. I'll be your refuge. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. What? What's the caption of Psalm 23? John Cortinas talked about it. The Lord is my shepherd. He cares for us. He's with us. Dallas Willard says, though, that phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, it's an inscription on more tombstones than it is lives. Meaning, yeah, we put it as an epitaph on a tombstone, but it's not the banner over our lives. You don't really live as if the Lord is our shepherd. Habakkuk chapter 3. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Notice what he's saying there. It's not what we want. I talk about this a lot. I'll keep talking about it. Because we, he says, you make my feet like the feet of the deer so I can tread on the heights. What we, in the words of my buddy Ray Vanderlaan, we would rather have a path that's suitable to our feet. In other words, suitable to our present notions of maturity and strength. He says, no. I'm not changing the path to accommodate your feet. I'm going to change your feet to accommodate the path. I'll give you the feet that you need to walk the path that you've got. Why? Because not only am I high, I'm here. And not only am I here, but I am help. And I'll give you the feet that you need. But there's a fourth characteristic. When I'm still, I start engaging with the fact that not only is he high and here and help, but he's what? He's home. So not only... Do I worship him and choose to relate with him and choose to trust him? But I choose to hope in him because he is home. He's where all of this is headed. He's at the end and the restorer of all things. Go back to the text, verse eight, come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bows and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. In other words, he's there when this is all done. And we can trust him until then, and we can hope in him and know that it shall not always be so. The storm shall not always be so. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, that's why I'm suffering as I am, Paul says, yet I am not ashamed because I know him, I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him for that day. 
Jude 24, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, he is able to get you home. So how do I engage with that reality? I got a piece of paper here. It's just an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper filled with text. It's got a one inch margin around all four sides. Here's the question. What percentage of this page is filled with margin? I did this with some of the people in the green room last night and all the stats out there. People usually say somewhere between 12, 15%. Maybe somebody will say, oh, 20%. Actually, 37% of this page is margin. And people that do this for a living tell you the more white space that's on this page, the more you can engage with the text. And in the midst of the storm, we think we need to fill up the entire page and God says, no, carve out margin and be still and know that I'm high and I'm here, I'm help and I am hope. Peace be still. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you in the middle of our hurricanes for some of us. And we need to be still right now. We don't want to just burst out of these doors and, and forget about the margin. It's time to apply this for five minutes. So during these next, this liturgy of music, of song, may we be practicing what the psalmist has exhorted us to do in Psalm 46 by being still. And may we acknowledge that your peace is not the absence of difficulty, but it's being still with you and acknowledging that you're, you're high and you're here and you're help and you're home right now. So would you hear us? as we vocalize our stillness and our engagement with you right now in the name of the one who, who has authority over the storms, I pray, amen.